0: Hello, and welcome to Roll and Roll. Grab a chair and pull on up to the table. I'll be your host and Dungeon Master, Brad Hendrickson. We have another one of our special episodes today where we go back to the Session Zeros before the campaign of Acklium ever started. We're going to be talking with Darrell about picking out equipment that really fits his character. We'll then be talking to Austin about really flushing out the backstory of Drabeam the Wizard. So let's start with Durrell. So let's move on down to something that's really fun uh, is equipment. You know, What does a person carry? What are their weapons? What are their armor? What's their magical items? Uh, which is also the next section here under the noble background is the starting equipment. Uh, and it says a set of fine clothes, a signet ring, a scroll of pedigree, and a purse containing 25 gold pieces. Well, I'm going to call another DM Audible. I'm really enjoying this Tabaxi really playing into their culture and theme. So I'm going to say instead of that 25 gold pieces, actual cash, that Tabaxi really wouldn't be interested in anyways, is it going to be a precious stone? I'm thinking like a like a like somewhere between a rough cut to a cut ruby worth 25 pieces of gold that at the start of this adventure – that that's what he has. Um, um, instead of a mountain of gold, is that maybe a challenge for him will be selling this off to get gold, uh, which could create a lot of fun situations, or you know maybe another player character is really interested in it for their own reasons. So I think I'm gonna gonna fiddle with that a little bit too. Okay. All right. Um, so that's the starting equipment for the noble. Uh, now for picking the equipment that you get. As a whole, armor, swords, arrows, bows, all that fun stuff. There are kind of two ways you can do it. You can use the book's uh, kind of get started quick set, which there's like choose A or B, choose A or B, and now choose A or B, and that's your starting equipment, which generally is some weapons, some armor, and then a type of backpack. There's another way you can do this too, and that's if you go to the equipment section of uh, the player's handbook for uh, 5th edition, it talks about how each class can kind of get a starting amount of gold, and then they can use that gold to go to all these tables in the equipment section and start buying off what they want. So which one are you kind of thinking?
1: I'm going for the the more customizable option. So I'm going to go for the uh, buy-what-you-want version.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, how about for this, for the sake of time, uh, let's just buy some of the main equipment. We'll figure out the gold that you have. We'll buy the main equipment, armor, weapons, uh, but anything that you're kind of thinking like torches, uh, hooks, um, bedrolls and stuff like that, I'll I'll leave to you. I'll trust to you.
1: Okay. Um. So let's see. I'm gonna go for for a long range and a short range weapon. You know, something to shoot people with and something to stab them with. Uh. So for the long range, I'm actually gonna go big for the heavy crossbow and for the short range how about uh i'm gonna go for a short sword there keep it simple and armor i'll go for i'll go for the studded leather and a shield and that should start me
0: okay i'm just marking all this down and a shield. Oh, what is that? Um, so let's uh, roll up how much gold you have, and we'll mark all this off, and then we'll uh, leave the rest of that gold for you to, to buy what you want. Okay. Sounds good.
1: Let me get my handy-dandy.
0: So the on. table on page 143 of the Player's Handbook says, A fighter's starting wealth. Is four or sorry, five d four times ten. So five d four dice and times ten. Okay.
1: So I'm I'm using now the Brock Jones die roller, so I don't actually have to do math. <laughs> roll that real quick, and this thing has me at it says one thirty seven. Okay. Oh wait, that doesn't make any sense though. Hold on. Yeah, if you're that does about, make
0: sense. Yeah, you shouldn't be able to get, uh, there should be a zero at the end of this.
1: Right. Hold on one second here. 5d4. Let's just, I'm going to do, let's clear that rather. Roll 5d4. It's going to be 15 and then times 10. So that's 150 gold.
0: Okay. So studded leather armor is 45. So we'll mark off that. Okay. And then a heavy crossbow is 50 gold. Wow. That's most of your funds right there.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm going big, man.
0: (laughs) And then another 25 gold off for that short sword. And you'll definitely probably want to make sure you buy some crossbow bolts. Yep. Got that down. Thank you. And then a shield was another 10.
1: All right. So correct me if I'm wrong here. I think... 150 minus 45, minus into I've got 30 and then minus 10 for the shield. Should put me at 20, correct?
0: Yep, 20 gold left. Okay. All right, I will let you spend that as you see fit. And we're going to do our last thing here, which is figuring out your armor class, which kind of really comes at the end because it's based off of a few different things. Uh, the armor that you're using, some different abilities, and, of course, a modifier. So, normal armor class of an unarmored person is traditionally 10 plus their dexterity modifier. So, for you, starting off the bat is ridiculous, because it's already a 14, which is pretty high for a level 1 character.
1: Oh, yeah. So, let's see. if I With my current setup, I've got 14, and then I bought studded leather, so that's a 12 plus dex. Uh, So yeah, it
0: changes that base 10 to a 12, which turns this to a 16.
1: Right. And then I am now armored, so uh, my defense fighting style pumps me up another one. That should be 17. Uh Uh-huh. And then I've got a shield on me for current state of affairs, so we'll call that a 19.
0: Wow. 19 armor class for a level 1 stealthy fighter. This is a really interesting mixture of stats, my friend.
1: <laughs> I'm glad I rolled well. <laughs> there we go. All
0: right. Well, that gets all the mechanics done. And and you've kind of been hinting a lot, I bet, about who Azarbo is. Uh, and I think there's always a lot more to a character than his stats uh, or his race. So, you know, you've kind of been giving me mentions of... Uh, this family upstart of nobles and, and some other things um, we know based on the Acleum, uh setting that there was this crisis about four generations ago when the heavens and the hells opened up across the world and warded out on this plane, leaving a lot of destruction. And so a lot of things changed across the world that apparently seems to have had a serious impact. On Azarbo's family and Azarbo's lineage. So, what's the story? Who, who's Azarbo? Outside of this ridiculously high AC fighter or stealth person, cat. <laughs> Sorry, I should say that.
1: Right. So, uh, Azarbo's family got g- gained its uh, sort of prominence in the middle of that fight. The, the area that his family had lived in had previously just been called the the uh, bath of the gods. It was just this dead volcano filled up and turned into a beautiful lake and the tabaxi sort of wandered around it. So the world goes to crap. Um, The lake ends up being turned into a sort of lake plus waterfall. When the moon crashes into it, the demons attack the tabaxi and uh, Azarbo's grandfather is the one who leads the defense. And by virtue of leading the defense, he gains prominence and eventually um, they, you know, the the tabaxi see the efficiency um, of having their single leader rather than being confederated in this crisis situation, and so they copy the nearest culture, and that's the wood elves that are next to them, and they make him king. Um, so now uh, his grandfather becomes king of the caravan court, and then. They are now the family of the Moon Falls, which is the region. Now it's no longer the Bath of the Gods, the Moon Falls, um, and yeah. So he is the the third generation of this lineage now. Very short <laughs> uh, noble family sort of history, um, and he's been brought up after this crisis. So his grandfather was the one that led them through it. His grandfather passes, and then his father leads the first generation, and now. His father is still leading, um, but they are in a new crisis, and that's where Azarbo is trying to, trying to or why he's been sent out. He's been sent to sort of find a new land for the Tabaxi that are now experiencing um, pressure from the elves who were once their allies to get out of their territory just because their population is expanding and the cultures do not mix as well as they had when there was more distance between them. And um, the area that they had inhabited is now inhabited by a whole bunch of crazy monsters that were supposed to be left in myth.
0: Okay. Wow, that's really kind of a lot of fun. And, you know, as a DM, what I like to do is to build my world, put some major places down, but then let my players kind of tell me what they thought and where they thought their characters were from. So now it's kind of my job as a DM to give everything or take everything that you just gave me and put it on the map and, and kind of solidify it in the history of Acliem. And I'm kind of looking over my maps here uh, and kind of looking at where the campaign is focused around. Uh, and I do see an, see a nice little kind of large island um, off the coast of one of the main continents that I think would work out really well for what you're describing. A volcanic, you know, with this big volcano, uh, dormant volcano. But space for two kind of groups to intermingle. And I think I'll have a lot of fun with that. Um, I'm gonna keep the secrets of you know who these people are at least a little bit uh, until they kind of appear in the campaign. Maybe Azarbo has to return home and he now has to deal with some things that have changed, uh, which I think is gonna be really really neat. I think there's gonna be a lot of cool things that'll come from Azarbo, uh, a young in, a, in essence a young noble, and him being self being young. And also the family itself being a young noble. So that'll be kind of a lot of interesting details. Um, so the way I've kind of hooked you all onto this campaign when I sent out that original batch of lore is this advert from Captain Dagon Lux. And he is looking for a crew for his ship uh, for the Silver Sails uh, Trading or Transportation Company. Why has Azarbo responded to this? Why Why did he see this and say, "Yes, this is obviously my next step"?
1: Uh, so, um, Azarbo, in addition to just having sort of an, an innate tendency to wander because of the the culture of the Tavaxi that he grew up with, you know, it's the caravan court; they're a mobile, nomadic people. Um, he's got his own wanderlust, and now he's sort of been commissioned by his father because of the um, the issues they're having in their homeland and between them and their nearest former allies. It's, it's, uh, for him, an opportunity to satiate his wanderlust, uh, to go see and explore and, and be a story monger and learn things. And it's an opportunity for him to seek out, um, the next place for the, for his people.
0: All right. Yeah. I, I think a lot of players will come into Dungeons and dragons. They'll make these characters uh, you know, kind of start off a lot like you create all these really interesting facets about them, but they never really kind of capture the reason why they're adventuring. And it can be really tough at the beginning for a DM to kind of find all the things that'll coax a, a character into going on the adventure, into meeting the strange old man in the tavern with a quest or to look at the map. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a really important aspect of uh, Azarbo, why he is now and adventure and responding to this and kind of going to go on this journey. Okay. I Durrell, I am super excited about his Arbo. He looks like a lot of fun. Like I said, he has a lot of interesting facets mechanically wise, and I think he's got a really interesting culture and kind of past to him. I'm really excited to see him in Acklium. I'm really excited to see him with the other characters as well. Uh, I hope you're excited. Um, and we'll roll up some fun here soon.
1: I'm flipping stoked. Can't wait.
0: All right, man, I'll catch you in game. All right, Austin, Uh, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing well. How are you, Brad?
0: I'm doing pretty good. So, so far for Drip, we've gotten a lot of the mechanics already laid out. You've rolled up some stats, uh, but now we just kind of really got to clear up the backstory. Who is Dripim, and how did he get to Miriam, and why is he going to uh, join this ship crew? so what are your thoughts who, who's dripping him? tell me who he is
2: yeah yeah great question so drip as his friends call him um he's a tabaxi which if you don't know what a tabaxi is um it's actually in volo's guide um and he's more kind of like a leopard um some may say jaguar-esque um however he's bigger so um, he's about—he's a little bigger than a human, so he's about six eight-ish. Um, he's got spots like a leper would have, um, specifically around his eyes. He um, has a little more black um, to kind of make his eyes pop a little bit with amber eyes. Um, he always looks like he's kind of smirking, um, as if he might be devious. But after hanging out with him for a minute you would know that he's just trying to be alluring. He's trying to be interesting. Um, he always looking for information. Um, a lot of his motivation is, is for magic. Um, he, he's really interested um, in this old understanding of how the world works. Um, and so actually, um, growing up, um, he was actually under um, a lore master named Zuri. Um, he's from the Moonfall Kingdom, um, and so, Brad, how much um, does the audience know about about Moonfall, or maybe about Zuri? Has um, have they spoken to to Zarbo yet?
0: Uh no. Or actually, yeah, we've done a session 0 with Durrell and we've talked a little bit about Moonfalls. So y'all are going to kind of conjoin or join your backgrounds.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, that's cool. Yeah, so Durrell and I've actually been talking a little bit about um hey, wouldn't it be cool if our characters kind of knew each other a little bit? And I really liked that idea. Um and he actually um, has kind of created a lot of this backstory. It was really fun to kind of collaborate on it. Um are essentially from kind of this wagon town of, of a place
0: after um,
2: the moon broke into a volcano. Actually.
0: Um, okay, so that's kind of referring to, to back in this big demonic heaven war that the, the moon kind of exploded and you're saying like a chunk of it took out a piece of the volcano that y'all live nearby? Yes. Whoa.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, And so there was, like you said, this big war. Um, But post that is whenever you see Azarbo and myself growing up. So it's, I guess, not post-apocalyptic, but it's post-moon explosion war.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the kind of the current climate of Acklium is this very – new uh dealing with this new rise in magic and demons and the gods seem more involved it just seems like a more charged environment so yeah it's not a post-apocalyptic but it's it's very new a lot of people are dealing with this just strange new environment of things were settled now things aren't uh kind of a little bit wild west
2: yeah and so during this time um grew up alongside Azarbo um, and Azarbo's siblings. Um, during that time, though, someone that took him under his wing was Zuri. Uh, he was an old, graying um, panther, um, and he, he kind of took me under his wing because I was smart. Um, I was really curious about history and trinkets and kind of the, the mystery and lore of, of what happened before I was born. Um, and because I learned so fast and I didn't have anyone to take care of me, um, as an orphan, he, he became kind of like my father. And so, so he always sent me on missions and he he taught me all about lore and about history and about basically anything I could get my hands on. Um, and, and one day when I was close to 12, I actually was sent on a mission Missouri, um to go actually seek out an artifact um, this artifact actually was was near um, the volcano um, that had kind of been broken into near us now when I walked in it was very odd there, there was an artifact that was supposed to be over there but I quickly noticed something else on the walls there's actually all of these runes all over the room. Um, Some of different colors, all markings that were very strange. I, I didn't know how to decipher it, which was interesting. And so even though I quickly saw the artifact, um, not 30 feet from me, which by the way was a rod about two feet long, made of some kind of brass, I didn't didn't really care about it anymore. These runes, these runes were here and I had to discover them. I actually spent a few days in there just writing down everything I could on in this book. And whenever I finished, I guess citing everything, I grabbed the rod and went back home. Whenever I yeah go ahead
0: yeah no it sounds like uh, Zart or a, a drip beam seems to be kind of a, a really uh I don't want to say like adD but maybe something along the lines of whatever seems to be interesting or exciting the most the most of that catches his attention even though he would kind of it sounded like he had some kind of mission but he got captivated by something else and that kind of overrided uh, that that goal or that priority
2: yeah I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head when you say that um i wouldn't call dripping in adhd though um because he's he's very intelligent um he knows what he's looking after he's not deceived by um sparkly things um but i think he's easy to drop something um that he's already figured out um, if he if he knows something's there, if he already understands how it works, it's boring to him. Uh, and so, if something else comes up, he'd much rather move towards that. It just makes sense to him. So,
0: cool. That actually sounds like uh, as a DM who drives off narrative and character development. To me, that sounds like the interesting challenge of Drabeam. What will be the thing that either captures his attention the most? Or will he have to learn to like curb that curiosity for maybe the greater good of the party or the the, the betterment of the world? Maybe he'll have to be like, oh, the thing that bores me. I just have to stick with it because something could explode if I, you know, if I get kept. That's kind of fun. Uh, I love those interesting character quirks that uh, will either be kind of an advantage or a disadvantage or just really kind of play with the scenario.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm also really curious um, how Drip is going to make a connection to this crew, um, to to these other players, right? So um, one of the D&D no-no's is to split up the group. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's going to be very difficult for Drip.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like now are you coming to Miriam with Azarbo? You know, I had talked with Darrell and Azarbo is now kind of on this mission to find a new homeland or to either come back and say there is no new homeland and we're going to have to fight for what we've got. Uh, so are you traveling with him? Or are you kind of like his traveling companion or y'all friends or, uh, or did, did something else kind of, did you have something else in mind?
2: Yeah. Great question. So whenever we were figuring this out, I thought it would be really cool for, for us to be not brothers, but at least know each other. Um, maybe have some banter, but, um, But I didn't think I want to actually stick with him for that long. And so um, Drip actually departed um, from that town, from where he grew up, um, not too long after he came back with that rod. Okay.
0: So he's kind of been traveling about? Yeah. So since the age of 12, which was eight years ago, (laughs)
2: um, for eight years he's actually been on the road um, seeking out magic, seeking out intrigue, and has been soaking everything up ever
0: since. Okay. Okay. So then my question for you to kind of, if we want to work on, you know, you told me he wants to be a wizard, so that's going to be his class. You know, wizards are very much, uh, gaining knowledge, writing stuff down. Uh, that's how they build their spell ability, their casting ability. So do you think, does he wind up at some kind of school? Does he, Uh, find another master what my question is how do you think he gets his spellcasting ability or skills before this new adventure um in miriam
2: yeah so so even before even in his backstory i think that drip is very self-taught so even in the cave you know zuri didn't teach him how to write that stuff down or decipher it he figured it out himself Um, and I think he'll take things down, even if he sees a spell being used, I think he will learn how to do it in his own way. Um, and so I think he'll write it down just like, you know, if there's a presentation in the front of a class and someone takes notes, you write it down how you understand it. Um, and from that, he's able to draw kind of on this power that allows him to, um, to cast these things. And so I think it'll be very unique. I don't think it'll be very structured. You mentioned he was ADD, and I think he likes to be different than others. Um, And so even a simple spell, he may put some flair on it.
0: (laughs) No, that's that's, uh, something I really enjoy about wizards specifically is I think that's maybe a thing that a lot of people don't tap into is that wizards, no wizard has like a natural affinity for magic none of them otherwise they'd be a sorcerer or something else that wizards are always have to bring in this knowledge or this ability from the outside and then kind of reverse it and push it back out so Mm -hmm. no i think i think any wizard should always focus on how am i how do i connect to the weave of magic and how do i use it Cause I have to learn it. I wasn't born with it. I'm not some half deity. I don't have, you know, magic running in my blood. I have to go out and grab it.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think that's, what's interesting about the mix between being a tabaxi and a wizard is that both of those (laughs) character types seek out, um, the unknown. They're, they're just very driven, very ambitious. Um, and and I really like where that um, kind of meets with drip.
0: Okay, well let's start getting some of this down mechanically. We've been talking a little bit kind of about the back history, and we'll get we'll flush that out a little bit more. But there is some mechanics uh, that we'll take advantage of here, and one of them is is in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Part of your skills, knowledge, proficiencies actually come from your selected background. Have you gotten a chance to look through the Player's Handbook and kind of figure out? what background you want to go with
2: yeah i thought that sage worked really well with my character and so that's that's what i've chosen
0: okay cool yeah so sage is very much focused on research knowledge consuming yeah that that makes a lot of sense um Mm -hmm. well it comes with uh two languages of your choice you get to kind of come up with what you feel like in this time period before miriam uh, the languages that you would have learned. And I've been thinking a little bit about what you said, you know, in the cave there was a language and you didn't understand it. Um, let's go and say that that was Draconic. that uh, Because you said you figured it out in the end, right?
2: Yes, I did. Yeah, so let's... write down. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Let's say that one of those two languages, uh, if you want it to be, uh, this is for us to haggle, we could say it was Draconic, that whatever is on the rod and whatever is in the space it was kind of uh, using draconic runes
2: okay yeah so kind of more dragonborn language um, that kind of background I guess
0: now uh, the other kind of language option is I would suggest maybe elvish because from what I remember from a zarbo's background is that there is an elven kingdom that's kind of pushing the Moonfall tribe kind of out of its territory, Uh, kind of a deal kind of is breaking down. And so they're pushing in. Uh, So maybe I would suggest the other language being Elvish, which would is also a lot of magic is tied into Elven as well. Um, Yeah,
2: I think that makes a lot of sense for him, especially with I think there was even a teacher that was an elf as well.
0: And then Tabaxi, if you go to Volo's guide, it says you get one more language as well outside of the Tabaxi language and common. Um, and I kind of really I really don't know uh, what else he would have learned. Um, so what do you think? In his travels, what, what other language do you think he would have picked up? Oh, Dwarvish,
2: definitely. Dwarvish? Yeah, there's so many tomes, and I don't know, they're old. <laughs> I, I feel like he can learn a lot from Dwarvish. There's a lot of, at least without... Like, you can be fluent in Dwarves, but I feel like he also knows how to write it. There's a lot of Dwarvish script out there, which a lot of things come from. And so I'm going to go with Dwarvish.
0: Yeah, cool. Draconic, Elven, Dwarvish. Uh, That's a really interesting, very rounded out language base. Mm -hmm. Um, Another kind of thing that we could talk about that bleeds into your background is kind of those spells you're thinking about using as a wizard. Specifically, kind of like where you think you kind of learn them, or uh, how you kind of pick them up along the way, um, or what you end up seeking. So what? So I think you get to start out with how many spells known? Um, I could start with three cantrips. Okay, three cantrips. What are you thinking in that department?
2: Um. Okay. So I was thinking, uh, Mage Hand for one of them. Um. I really like digitation. I think there's a lot that he can do with it. I think there's a lot of narrative flair that can go with that, uh, which I think could be really fun. Um, I feel like he picked that up just simply on the road, just as he... His charisma is very high. He likes to talk and get into situations and discover, and I feel like digitation is something that he uses to kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say deceive people, um, but maybe to add to his
0: personality. Okay. Yeah. I've never kind of what I'm getting at is at least what, let's talk about it. Cause I want to make sure I understand drip is that I don't think drip is a liar, but i definitely feel like he, he likes to give a lot of glory to the things that he's done. He seems to have this kind of flair, like, Hey, look at what I just did, and, uh, everybody needs to look everybody kind of needs to see but i don't think he would ever lie about it i don't think he'd say like oh i killed the dragon when he never killed the dragon but if he did kill a dragon i feel like the entire kingdom would know in a few hours
2: yeah i would say that so so it's kind of like that old picture right you know the the fish picture you you may want to push it closer to to make it look bigger but i won't photoshop a fish into the picture i'll have caught the fish (laughs) yeah
0: Oh, no, yeah. Okay. So, those are kind of the, the cantrip options. I think, more importantly, you kind of like getting into those first-level spells. What I think wizards kind of, or spellcasters, will always have, like, more than what their, like, signature move is. So, do you think you have, like, what do you think Drip's signature spell would be, the one that he's kind of going to be using the most, inside and outside of combat?
2: Oh, well, my last cantrip was fire. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Fire Firebolt as well. <laughs>
0: nice. Good, good, That's solid. Of
2: attack spell but uh so so yes uh as far as first level spells those are the kind of juicy ones um i have two spell slots um i get to prepare four of them um and so essentially what that means is those are ones that i can use on hand then when i prepare another spell it takes about an hour to get that ready and prepared so i could just use it um but i get one two three four five six spells i believe
0: Okay. so you can have six spells in your spell book, yeah, so like
2: they're they're written down or maybe I've found them somewhere, yeah, but it doesn't mean i' I can use them yet <laughs> um the one I think drip may use the most is probably charm person,
0: okay, yeah, a charismatic kind of curious person I could see charm person being important well, I guess uh. So for backstory's sake, where do you think he learned that? Where, uh, How do you think he came across Charm Person as a spell?
2: Honestly, I think I think it was a mix of a lot of things. I, I think in his backstory with, with the lore and, and kind of with um, his master, he came across a tome. It was more kind of like a love story, but there was magical intrigue in it. And during that time, Azarbo's sister was very (laughs) attractive to me. Um, And so I think with his love for her, um, maybe this kind of tween love and kind of trying to figure out what that means for him, like during puberty and all that kind of stuff. Like he started reading and studying this book and he knew that there was a spell that could um, maybe help you with girlfriend or something (laughs) and so he never actually learned what it was during that time but that's something he always kept on hand and began using on the road
0: so kind of maybe a spell that he got like the first inklings of and then like through time kind of like kept practice adding it kept kind of playing with it until it kind of like refined into a proper spell Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I like that. Is there? Can you think of like any other spells in that kind of like that first slot that are more signature or more kind of uh, to his nature uh, than kind of maybe other spells?
2: Oh, definitely detect magic.
0: Detect magic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's just all he's about. That's
2: just yeah, that makes sense. To find magical stuff. Um, That's basically why he's been journeying is to find more knowledge concerning magic how that could maybe benefit him to undiscover you know discover secrets because magic in itself is very secretive and so he wants to just unlock those those pieces in the world Um, and that's how he finds it he just detects magic and he finds out even what kind of magic it is when he does that and so um other spells i have though too are like sleep is prepared Uh, Which may help me, because he's he's not super combative. He's not super combative, and so um, maybe putting, you know, shopkeep to sleep instead of (laughs) killing him so he can grab a tome and run out
0: of there. Okay, so we got a criminal. Something like that. Okay. I could could definitely see that you got, like, detect magic maybe from uh, Zufi, right? The, the, The lore master? Yeah. I could see that maybe being a spell that he passed on to you Uh, and I'm assuming that y'all left on like good terms or or how? Oh yeah. He's, he's the one
2: who actually sent me off. Okay. Whenever
0: I brought back that rod,
2: um, he just knew he couldn't teach me anymore after I learned draconic by myself. Um, and so he just kind of sent me on my way, gave me some tomes, um, gave me some scrolls. Actually, let me keep the rod. Didn't tell me anything about it. Okay. Um,
0: Well, then that gives me an idea i'll probably play with what that that item is if you'll give me that liberty i'll i'll take that into my domain
2: go for it man
0: all right cool i've got i think i've got a cool idea for what what maybe that thing is um but yeah i could see some of these first level spells being in those you i think you mentioned he probably passed off some tomes yeah uh maybe mage armor i think is what you're referring to and Mm -hmm. uh detect magic could have been two spells that were found in those tomes uh that he gave to you
2: i think sleep is something i found on the road i was um two other spells that i have that are not prepared um or silent image and then identify
0: so okay this is interesting because if i know identify that requires uh i think some type of item that requires it's a gold count and generally, I don't care about components and spellcasting because I feel like it can lob, uh, you know, slow down the game uh, searching for, like, spell components. But I do always try to, like, if there's a, a cost point, like, I think it's a uh, chromatic orb requires a diamond and uh, other spells require, uh, you know, the chalices and things of that nature. I think this so, one's a pearl. Okay, so a pearl. I will say for that one, um, you'll need to, to have a pearl. It's a reusable spell, so it's not like it costs a pearl no more. Come back, you just yep. have to have at least have a pearl on you as an available tool.
2: Okay. Yeah, and so I think right now he like almost has silent image down. Like if he tries to work on it a little bit more, he'll have it.
0: Okay.
2: Identify. He already understands how it works he hasn't been able to actually try to practice it because he doesn't have the pearl. And so that's something he's passively looking for.
0: Okay. I could, uh, also, I could see Identify also being in those tomes of a of like a lore master because, you know, it sounds yeah. like Zufi was very much, I bring things in, I try to understand them, and then I, I move on. So, like, Identify, Detect Magic, and then Mage Armor, you know, is some basic defensive spell he might have been able to pass on.
2: But, yeah. So those are my spells. All
0: right. Um... It sounds like we've got a really kind of brewing idea of who Drip is. Uh, he, you know, he, when he was younger, he did this, you know, exploration into a cave where he got, you know, totally enwrapped in this language of magic and eventually he comes back with this strange artifact. So impressed, uh, impressive that his master kind of says, you know what, young one, you need to experience the world. I can I can't teach you things, but the world can. Here's uh-huh. my blessing. Here's my books. Uh, go. Does that sound kind of like what we're going with?
2: Yeah, and I think he just kind of leapt up and went.
0: Cool. Well, excited. yeah, let's email some more back and forth. We can really like put in some lore because I've got some like fun ideas of attempting to like I see like Drip at one point, maybe trying to like break into like a high end library to like go steal <laughs> some books. Maybe yeah. that doesn't go so well um and then like the last few details of like how does he get to miriam how does he get into this place that's a whole continent away from his home uh and so maybe he uh, kind of like we talked about like he seems to have whatever's the most exciting thing is the thing he goes to and like one exciting thing leads to another and eventually he hears about the merchant city the you know where goods and crazy things move in and out of and it's full of life and it's vibrant and maybe he's like all right yeah let's go there let's let's go experience miriam and then when he gets to miriam he's like all right cool <laughs> let's do the next thing and maybe that's what drives him to get on the ship crew you know like he gets to miriam he heard it was really neat he takes a walkabout he's like all right i did miriam you know next big city oh i could be on a ship a ship could take me places i'll do that
2: yeah it sounds like something drip would do but i guess we'll see right
0: yeah, we'll have to see man i'm excited for the campaign i'm excited all right well thank you for listening in to our special session zero episodes hope to see you in game soon but until then grab your dice grab your friends and roll up some fun see you soon